the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, welcome to Cynthia Hyatt's uh, Conversations with Cynthia. So glad that you're here with me today. And thank you for joining me. And always remember that if you can't listen to the show in its entirety, you can go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. You can also look on any of your favorite podcast servers. We're probably on that as well. So we have a special guest today. And we're going to, the last week's show, we're going to finish up in the the last half of this hour. Because I didn't want to miss out on you being able to get to know and hear Mr. Roland Warren. He is the president of CareNet, and he really has an amazing pro-life testimony, and he really champions uh, just, you know, children, families, fathers, and since this is Father's Day, I'm really excited to have a dad on the show. So he, th- this person, he is, CareNet is a Christ-centered movement of more than a thousand affirming pregnancy centers. And it really runs the nation's only real-time call center, and it's uh, providing pregnancy decision coaching. About 80% of the callers are really at risk um, for having an abortion. And so Mr. W- Mr. Um, Warren was raised by a single mother after his parents got divorced when he was seven. But not only was he the first to go to college in his family, but he also went to Princeton University. And after falling in love with Yvette, a sophomore, the two Christians became intimate, conceived a baby. So he's conceived a baby out of wedlock. And instead of taking the easy way out and getting an abortion, uh, and this would be the Princeton Student Health Center was really encouraging them strongly to do this. They got married, and they chose life for their baby and both graduated. And subsequently, he earned an MBA from Wharton School of Business. He's also worked 20 years in the corporate world with IBM, Pepsi, Goldman Sachs. And he's invested now 11 years as the president of National Fatherhood Initiative. So he has a unique testimony, and he's got tons of leadership experience and real, real life experience. I know that I am very close to this issue. My, I am adopted, and so are my two brothers. My older sister is not. And so this is a really important time, especially on Father's Day, to talk about really taking up this cause and men really being men and not being afraid to be that and not being afraid to really champion and protect children. So, Mr. Warren, thank you so much for being here today. Glad, glad to be with you. Glad to be with you. Thanks so much. Well, you have quite an extensive history. Yeah, yeah. It's very <laughs> you, laid out, you, you laid out a lot of it. 
<laughs> well, it's it you know I like people to know really who they're listening to because you know, it's really fascinating how life has all these different twists and turns and how we find our way along the mm-hmm. way and we a lot of times find ourselves somewhere we never thought we would be. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think from my perspective, um, that was certainly certainly the case. And uh, you know, as you kind of you know talked a bit about there, you know, certainly growing up in the environment uh, that I grew up in, and uh, you know, certainly ending up at Princeton was not uh, something that uh, I thought would happen. Right. Fact, I had never even I had never even heard of Princeton, so uh, <laughs> that was kind of a unique thing. <laughs> and you know, as, as you said, you know, certainly ending up ending up uh, you know facing an unplanned pregnancy also was uh, not something that you know I had expected. I mean, in a lot of ways, it was you know it's kind of a similar dynamic to my my own father. Right. And uh, you know, which is one of the reasons one of the things that scared my mom once once she you know heard that. Uh, that uh, Yvette and I were pregnant. I mean, she, my wife Yvette and I were pregnant. She kind of felt like, you know, this is, you know, deja vu all over right, again. Right, we're repeating and, history. Right. Yeah, yeah, and she didn't, and she didn't want to see that. So, so we're, you know, we're by the grace of God, we're delighted that we kind of made that choice and and uh, brought our brought our son into the world. And uh, you know, I, you know, certainly, uh, it, it certainly gave me a unique insight uh, to uh, the work that we do here at CareNet and and. Uh, and particularly, you know, the the role of of fathers and why yes. fathers are so important uh, to the life decision. I mean, that was, that's you know, been one of the the aspects of the the pro life movement, in my view, that's sort of been been missing. Uh, that there there hasn't been as much um, focus on really trying to connect fathers to this process. And uh, to some degree, you know, we've almost uh, you know, in some ways, almost um, modeled or patterned our response after the pro-choice response, which is you know, sort of her body, her choice. This is right, about the right. woman, about the woman and the baby. And uh, the reality is from a pro-life perspective, that doesn't help us because, right. um, you know, the, the a woman who's facing an unplanned pregnancy, you know, the biggest reason why a woman will choose to have an abortion has a lot to do with missing support. Uh, it, it's about nine months and one second. So if she can't see right, she's got, right. uh, if she's got support, um, after the pregnancy, she's much more likely to choose abortion, and and certainly, you know, when a when a when a young lady, a uh, woman rather has has someone who says, "I'll be a husband to you and a father to our child growing inside of you," which is basically what I said to to my wife Yvette, she's much more likely uh, to bring the the child into the world and much less likely to be at risk for abortion. Absolutely. And the data shows that because eighty six percent of the women that have abortions are unmarried. So. It's it's not just a sanctity of life issue. It's a sanctity of marriage and family issue, and you're not going to have the sanctity of marriage and family in God's design without involving men and, and encourage them to step up to be husbands and fathers. Uh, so, um, so the work that I do with the National Fatherhood Initiative really informs what I do uh, with with CareNet, and that's part, a big part of kind of what I I feel like God's kind of called me in this direction and brought, and as a result of that history, my own personal history, and then the work I did with National Fatherhood Initiative. Uh, really helped me see that you know the centrality of of having men be involved. So to speak. Well, I so. think I think that's really powerful because one of the pieces of your story is you know you're young, you didn't anticipate this, and it's always interesting how we always think it. We just don't think it would happen, and it's like mm-hmm. that's exactly what generally happens. And so we, we you know we have a lot of young people, a lot of older people. We it's like we just in the moment of that passion we don't think about it. And so the, what's so amazing about your story is that you really, at a young, very young age, 
grew up quickly and you decided that you were going to be a good man and you were going to take care of this and you were going to really help, you know, your girlfriend and whatever you all decided from that point on, but you decided to go forward with something and not have the abortion. Yeah, I, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, I mean, we were in love. We wanted to get married anyway. And, right. And, 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 and so, you know, I think, you know, and I think that, you know, particularly being Christians, I mean, that's one of the reasons why a lot of times Christians are so at risk, because, you know, if you're trying to follow God's principles, so to speak, and, and you're not doing a good job and you kind of stumble, well, you probably don't, quote, have the protection. Exactly. <laughs> because exactly. it's kind of like, well, I'm trying to follow God's principles, but yet I'm, you know, doing certain other things to right. you know, violate well, it's kind God's of, It's kind of like, you know, using protection is premeditated, right? Exactly. <laughs> We're not and supposed so to premeditate that. Up with some, right, and that's one of the reasons why you end up with with Christians who face this. So yes, yes. This, this, this situation, but... Uh, you know, you don't want to compound one mistake with two. And Absolutely. Uh, certainly from our standpoint, you know, God is faithful, and we certainly, uh, certainly looking back, you know, can see that. I mean, my, my girlfriend, uh, you know, uh, who became my wife, we got married, um, and uh, when she was about mm, four and a half months pregnant, and, uh, and uh, she ended up, you know, uh, taking a year off, and then she graduated mm. from Princeton, too. She wow. went on uh, to become a doctor, like all the things that... Uh, uh, folks said she wasn't going to be able to accomplish. She she did, and she became a doctor. She's been a doctor for 25 years. The 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 child that they encouraged us to get rid of, uh, super smart, ended up going to Harvard, smarter than both of us combined. You know, so you know we we and and you know and we don't have you know the guilt that that, that I see uh, and and the trauma that I see uh, in so many situations when I've talked to people who you know, made a different decision. That's why we have a heart for them. But, you know, I know, but for the grace of God, you know, we could have easily gone there. And, and there's a lot of pressure to do that. We were Christians, folks knew it, you know, and so it was incredibly embarrassing. And my, my wife was uh, considered one of, quote, the good girls. Yes, and, yes. Uh, and, you know, so there was just a lot of reasons why, you know, uh, the easy thing to do would have been to take the easy way out. And, and by the grace of God, you know, we didn't do that. And we're thankful for that. Uh, that, that we didn't make that choice. And we, so I think that God certainly, you know, used that, that narrative uh, of my life and, and uh, to really kind of inform me and kind of guide me to this work. Uh, and it gives me, like I said, a unique perspective. And that's why I can be encouraging to guys to say, listen, I know where you are. I know what you're tempted to do. But I can tell you, looking back at my own story, that if you follow God's principles and you honor God's principles, that that He He will step in the middle of that, and uh, and He wants good things for us, and He does good things for us. And so I see that in my own life in terms of what happened with uh, with uh, uh, my my wife and I. So I think so I we've think been married yes. thirty seven years. Yeah, wow. Right. Well, congratulations, because yeah. that's another that's that's quite an accomplishment. Yep. Yes. Absolutely. Well, you know, I know that I talk a lot of times with people about the whole idea, you know, when it comes to pregnancy and and abortion and things. And I know one of the most healing things God did for me was the day that he really said to me, you know, your parents, Cynthia, may not have planned you, but I did. Uh And it was, it was, I mean, it it revolutionized my whole entire life, I thought, because for so long, I thought I'm happenstance. I just kind of appeared and Mm -hmm. uh oh, we better do something with Cynthia. She showed up, right? Yeah, and yeah. so it's like whether people are planned or not planned has nothing to do with whether God mm-hmm. has planned them and yeah. how important no, I, they are in, in terms of showing up. So we have like two minutes. So I just wanted to let you know because I don't want to cut you off too fast. 
Yeah, no, I think that's really important, and I think that's a central point that you make, that you know how you came into being does not determine your value as a human being. Absolutely. You see what I'm saying? Yes. So whether you were conceived in whether you were conceived in love or lust, it really that has no bearing on on, on your value as a human being. And, and that, by the way, that principle is the underpinning of the whole abortion debate. Yes, indeed. Because there's a view in the abortion debate that basically how you came into being, like quote, there used to be a saying like every child a wanted child. Right. Well, as if your worth is tied to whether quote you were wanted by some construct or not. But but in God's economy, we're all created in the image of God, right? Yes. And, and we're all, quote, wanted from that perspective, um, and that God has a plan for us, and that's what Scripture says, and that's what you really want people to embrace, certainly when they're in the midst of a, an unplanned pregnancy. I think that's very powerful because it really is about the, I knew you before you were formed, I created you in your mother's yeah. womb. And that gets Absolutely. us out of that thought that we somehow have created this baby. Yep. You know, nope. it really is God's creation. Yeah. And and we yeah. sometimes forget about that. And so I think it's really powerful for people to understand that whether or not, you know, you were adopted, whether or not you were in a, in a single home, whether or not you had parents that divorced, it really has everything to do with God's plan for your life. So join me in the next segment as we talk more with Roland Warren and the amazing organization he has Um, in terms of really helping stave off the abortion issue that we have now. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you so much for joining me this Sunday. And happy Father's Day to you, all of you fathers out there. And all you potential fathers, I'm wishing you a very blessed day. And we have a very special guest today, if you're just tuning in. This is Roland Warren, and he's president and CEO of an amazing organization called CareNet. And he has a great pro-life testimony himself that he has lived out. And if you are interested, you can really look at the website um, on my website. You can also look at all the Instagram, the different social media, because we will have his information out there for you if you are interested. And so, Roland, thank you so much again for being here today. And what what would you like really the listeners to know more than anything? Well, you know, one of the key things that God put on my heart when I when I came to, to CareNet was this whole notion about, um, you know, in terms of a life issue, that we shouldn't be just pro-life, but we should be pro-abundant life. And, and, the, and the distinction between being pro-life and being pro-abundant life. And, and God kind of gave me this download that, you know, it, it, it's really linked to John 10.10, 10, where Christ said, I came that you might have life and have life abundantly. Um, and so what he's really talking about is not just physical life, right, but he's also talking about a unique type of spiritual life that comes from a relationship with God. Absolutely. And so one of the things that you know we've been doing uh, very aggressively in Kerenis is, is really kind of focused on leading what we call a pro-abundant life movement. And particularly for Christians, it's about heartbeats that are heaven-bound. So you can be oh, an atheist like and be pro-life. Like right. You know what I mean? You can right. be an atheist, but you can't be an atheist and be pro-abundant life because you're not focused on heartbeats that are heaven-bound. And so our observation was, well, if you have that perspective that, that it's heartbeats that are heaven-bound, that means that you're not just solving for a child coming into the world, having physical life, but you want to make that make sure that child has spiritual life, which means that this is an issue that has to be led by the church. 
because the abundant life peace that Christ is talking about really is linked to discipleship, That's right. which is the Great Commission. And, and, and one of my observations is that so many Christians don't look at the life issue through the lens of discipleship. So we think about other things that way, like water for the thirsty, food for the hungry, clothes for the naked. Like we think about those as on-ramps to discipleship, but we don't think about the life issue that way. Too often we view it just from a political perspective or a material support perspective, and the reality is if helping someone who's facing an unplanned pregnancy is a good work, all good works that Christians do are supposed to equal discipleship, which means when you see someone who's facing an unplanned pregnancy— it, your first thought shouldn't be, my well, gosh, what material support or who should they vote for, all these, these other issues. <laughs> right. Your first thought should be, she needs to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's right. The, the guy who got her pregnant needs to become a disciple of Jesus right. Christ. And they both the need, to know their, they need, yes, they need to know their Heavenly Father. Exactly. The child growing inside of her needs to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's right. And that means that the Church is the seed of discipleship which means that we should be trying to help folks outside the Church who are facing pregnancy decisions have a transformation that comes from a connection to Church and also those inside the Church. So that, that piece has been very, very important for us, and we actually launched a, a ministry called Making Life Disciples, which is a, which is a small group ministry kit that, that uh, folks can learn about it at makinglifedisciples.com that's really designed to equip small groups in the Church to come alongside someone who's facing a pregnancy decision, and to offer compassion, hope, help, and discipleship. And that's, and that's a real missing piece uh, in, in the pro-life movement in terms of how aggressive it needs to be, particularly if we want Roe v. Wade to ever be overturned. Right. Because if it's overturned, it's not going to overturn sex outside of marriage. It's not going to overturn out-of-wedlock pregnancy. So if, if a woman's not having an abortion as an option, I mean, what's supposed to happen? Do we want just a sea of single mother homes as far as the eye can see? I mean, is that is that I mean, is that really pro abundant life? Uh, you know, Christ's call was to come as you are, but not but not to stay as you came. And right, so we don't right. we don't want her to have three kids with three different guys and four kids with four different guys. That may solve quote a pro life perspective because you right. check that off, but from a abundant life perspective. That's not the transformation. Well, uh, that, I think that that's that's he, that's really powerful. I have not heard anybody say that, and I think that that is why that it's so sad that Planned Parenthood ended up being the go-to for people in church because they couldn't well, go to the church. Well, that's that's the problem. Fifty-four percent of the women that have abortions profess to be either Catholic or Protestant. Right. That's number one. And we did a national survey, and we asked women. Um, about church attendance, and what we found was that nearly nine out of, uh, excuse me, nearly, um, n- nearly, like uh, uh, messing up my statistics here. <laughs> I was, it was in my brain, and then it just, then it just I left. Ain't me. Nearly, that four, <laughs> nearly four out of ten women who were attending church at least monthly at the time of of their pregnancy. That's four out of ten attending church in the church on Sunday, in the abortion clinic on Monday. And a big reason for that is that we don't have a ministry on-ramp in the church, that if you're facing a pregnancy decision, well, who are you supposed to talk to? Well, and so, and, you it, know, it's it, that silly yeah. notion that we somehow can control people. And so if we give opportunity for women to get help if they become pregnant outside of marriage, that somehow we're condoning it and encouraging it. It's absurd. Absolutely. It's absurd. Of course, it's, it's, and we see this on on on, on Christian college yes. campuses. 
And in terms of the policies there, a lot of times, well, if you violate the, the you know, the, the, the conduct code, then you're kicked out of school. Right. What, does that, what does that do? Well, it makes someone go like, well, dang, well, I should... I should go have an abortion then right. so I can kind of hide it. Right. You know, it, it really, we have really the wrong, look, the baby is not the sin. That's the sex right. outside of marriage is a sin. And if we're really going to have a pro-abundant life ethic, we should be treating women the way that Christ treated the woman caught in adultery. What did he say? Neither do I condemn you, right? Right. But go and sin no more. Exactly. In other words, come as you are, but don't stay as you came. And if a woman on a college, a Christian college campus or in a church feels that she's going to be stoned with condemnation, mm-hmm. it, makes, it makes Planned Parenthood and the abortion provider look more compassionate than the church. That's right. And here's the thing. You cannot stone the woman without stoning the baby. That's so right. So that's why our, yes. our, call really is, our call is really to the church and why we're trying to encourage people to join the pro-abundant life movement. And a big part of that is taking these small groups that are in churches— to make sure these small groups that are in churches aren't just about us loving us, but those these small groups are about us loving them. Wow. And that we're there trying to meet that missing support that I talked about, uh, because the church has a specific call uh, to folks who are facing a pregnancy decision, because it is a good work, and it's a good work that should lead to discipleship, and the church is the seat of discipleship. I think that's awesome. I really do, because one of the things that that happens is that we are we sounds so contradictory because we were saying, hey, if you're hungry, come to us, we'll feed you. But if you're pregnant, right. you better not show up. And exactly. so that's, a, I, well, I have one minute. So what would you like to tell the listeners as we are coming to the end of this hour? Well, I, I tell you, again, I, I'd love for more and more folks to, to kind of learn more about what CareNet's doing. As you said, our, our website is care-net.org. Uh, where you can learn more about CareNet, be a part of what we're doing. And also you can go to makinglifedisciples.com uh, to learn more about uh, that, that ministry kit that we, we want folks to really be involved in in the church, because that's the key uh, to uh, not just overturning Roe versus Wade, but being prepared for whether it's overturned or not in terms of having a ministry response that's consistent with, with Christ's call. Well, and I think that's part of the church, again, tr- really turning back into being the resource. Like, that would be the place that people would know they could come, you know, Absolutely. instead of the last place. So, Roland, thank you, and bless you so much in your ministry. And we would love to have you back on again. I, I think this is a really worthy cause, and I think the more that people understand it and know it and embrace it, the better that we are going to be able to serve just the world and the body of Christ as well. So blessings to you. Thank you. And have a happy Father's Day. Oh, thanks so much. Take care. All right. Take care. Well, join us in the next half hour. We're going to finish up what we were doing last week. So I appreciate you listening. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. If you're just tuning in, make sure that you go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. You can listen to the show in its entirety. You can also look at all the different things that we have for you on social media as well. And if you make, I really want to encourage you to check out your podcast server that is your favorite one because we are probably are on it now. And if we're not, please email me, let me know. We'll make sure that we get on the one that you like. Because I want these shows to be available to you 24-7. And, uh, you know, it's nice to listen on the computer, and I appreciate it when you visit the website. We have lots of good insight when you visit the website, and thank you for your comments. 
but I also want to make it as convenient as possible. So thank you for hanging in here today, and I hope you enjoyed Roland Warren. What an amazing man, and I'm going to have him on again because he has such a great testimony, as well as just a life ethic that I think is so powerful and so important. So here we are on Father's Day, and that's why we really had Mr. Warren on. And we're going to end this, this half hour just finishing up last week's show and when we talked about building your house on the rock. And building your house on the rock has a lot to do with understanding your own Heavenly Father and that your Heavenly Father really knows what's best. Remember that old show a long time ago? I think it's called Father Knows Best, right? And so I want you to be consistently running things by God. You don't have to have a formal prayer time all the time. You can just, as you go through your day, be saying to God, hey, what does that look like? How does that sound? What do you think of that idea I have? Or could you help me with this? Or God, could you give me more desire for this? More desire to pray, more desire to read your Bible, more desire to be polite, right? And that's what we're going to really talk about is etiquette. Being somebody that's got some class, we've kind of gotten so casual because it used to be that we were so legalistic and so perfectionistic that it was strangling people. So we kind of have gone the other end of the spectrum and we need to pull it back into having some balance. So I want you to think about etiquette. I want you to think about courtesy and how you feel when someone is polite, when they are decent, even if it's difficult. And it really raises the level of behavior in any group when someone is truly has etiquette, class, courtesy. They've done lots of research, lots of studies on how people's behaviors change. Crime goes down when people are polite, when people practice etiquette. It just causes us to feel better about ourselves when we actually then have better behavior. If you couple that with people being in uniforms, you'd be amazed at really overall how the behavior changes. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody that's polite and has a uniform is going to act decently. But for the most part, you'd be amazed at how these things actually change our behavior. So we talked a little bit about those three rules, and the, the fourth one being that of gratitude and forgiveness. And so I want to refresh your mind on the verse, the, the, the parable that we're talking from. And this is Matthew chapter 7. 24 through 27, and this is out of the Message Bible. It says, These words I speak to you, they are not incidental additions to your life or homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use these words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter. That's a powerful word for the Bible to use. You're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on a sandy beach. And when a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. So we're coming to the end of this particular segment, and I want to encourage you to stay through the break. So that you can hear some of this old-fashioned etiquette that just really raises the behavior, raises us to a higher level of living, a higher standard of living, that we are really then being 
better versions of ourselves, and we are being who God has originally designed us to be. I'm sure you've heard how polite God is. He is a polite God. You know, he knocks at the door of your heart. He doesn't force his way in. He wants to be invited in, and he waits. He has patience. He really has some etiquette. Now, that doesn't mean he can't bring the house down if he needs to. But this is what we want to fashion our life after. Jesus, he had, he had manners. He was courteous. He was kind. He was patient. So join me in the next segment. We're going to talk about how etiquette really increases classiness, which I think that's maybe even an old word, too. Etiquette and class, those might be old-time words. So I know you're going to enjoy it. I really enjoyed, you know, researching some of this. So join me in this next segment as we talk about some really old-fashioned etiquette tips that make you a lot classier as a person. Welcome back. You are listening to Conversations with Cynthia, and I'm Cynthia Heyer, your host. So thank you for joining me in this segment, and we are going to now really finish up the show with old-fashioned etiquette tips that'll make you seem a lot classier. And I think that it's really important for you to understand that your behavior and the words that you choose have a great effect on how you act as a person. Think about how you act when you're dressed casually, how you act if you're in a tuxedo. Now, of course, I'm making some generalizations because we always have people that are doing odd behaviors in tuxedos, and no matter how wonderful their language is, they might be vulgar. So I'm talking about, in general, research indicates the better dressed we are, the more put together we are, and the more we are willing to practice politeness, courtesy, etiquette, the better we feel about ourselves. The better we feel about ourselves, the better we act, the easier it is to act decently. So what, what really is considered to be good manners? What constitutes or what do you consider rude or in poor taste? Do you consider anything in poor taste? And this changes over time with a lot of different societal views. Maybe life experiences, technology has certainly changed some of this. But being well-mannered, is just as important as being smart, creative, stylish, beautiful, anything else. Because, see, it can make or break others' opinions of you. And it really can affect how successful you're going to be. So whether you like it or not, your behaviors affect people, and they remember you for them. So while modern technology, you know, requires its own kind of sets of rules... There's also plenty of old-fashioned etiquette that is really going to help you rise to a higher level of functioning. And so first impressions are certainly important. But you shouldn't practice best manners only when meeting people for the first time. And see, I, I always am driving this home to clients during sessions when I'm saying, how sad is it that the stranger gets the best version of us? instead of the person that we are closest to, that we purport to love deeply. So our spouses, our partners, our family, 
our children, our neighbors, why do they get the most casual, the most, you know, uh, unfiltered version of us? And so this is really important to recognize that plenty of etiquette, you know, best practices are really things that you should be doing all the time or at least regularly. So from, this could be from navigating a meal to corresponding with others. I mean, there's many tried and true things that work just effectively today as they did many years ago. Because, you know, even though times have changed, that doesn't mean that everything you thought about etiquette has changed. Being kind, polite, well-mannered, it's never going to go out of style. So here's the first one I want you to think about. Keep your plate at dinner at luncheons, whatever it is, keep your plate so that your companions don't feel rushed to finish eating their meal. Slow it down. Relax a little bit. Pace yourself with the people that you're sitting with. And this is, this is something that I totally forgot. I didn't even remember that I was, I was taught that when I was a kid. So when you're out with friends and colleagues or clients, try not to finish your meal first. But if you do, it's polite when, when the waiter is trying to clear it, that you ask him to let you keep your plate. That's just etiquette. And that really is how people don't feel rushed and how they relax, how they enjoy the time together. So remember, you're not in a hurry. Because if you're in a hurry, you probably shouldn't have started a meal with a whole bunch of people. So think about that when you're going out, how you can really encourage the time with all these different people to have a great time socializing and to feel at ease. Now, this next one, this may sound like a a no-brainer, but you're going to be shocked by how many people seem to think that please and thank you are unnecessary. They're optional words. There's a lot of people that think they're out of style now or that somehow it makes you too vulnerable or it makes you look weak. But this is really important. Please and thank you when you're conversing with others, is still polite and respectful. And it will cause people to relax. One of the things that we find is the better our manners, the more relaxed people are. Because when people are practicing good manners, they're controlling themselves. They're managing themselves. And when you are controlling and managing yourself, people are going to relax. How about this one? You know, I know I probably shouldn't have to say this, but people still do this. They chew with their mouth open. Chewing with your mouth closed is essential. No one wants to see or hear what's going on in your mouth while you're eating your meal. Keeping your mouth shut while you're eating is good manners. And the other thing, please be careful about using dental floss in front of people, picking at your teeth, these types of things. That's what the restroom is for. And so it's amazing to me how comfortable we have all become, then in fact, it's now looking more lazy than just comfortable. So this is what you want to think about. Kids need to learn these things and they learn from us. The behaviors that we do in front of them are tacit permission for them to do in their life. How about this one? Standard, standard tip is 20%. It really is. The only time I would not give someone 20% is if they really purposefully messed something up. And I'm thinking that, you know what, maybe the only way to get their attention on their work ethic is to not give a, a, a good tip. 
Otherwise, regardless of whether or not they were perfect or moderate or whatever, I'm going to give them 20%. This is a hard job. Waiting on people is a hard job. And many of these people live off their tips. And so it's very respectful and very classy to thank someone with a tip. How about this? Don't insist on dinner plans at a restaurant that your friends can't afford, right? Take into consideration the people that are coming. Because if people are coming and then they really don't feel like they can afford the meal and they're trying to to hang in there with everybody, they're not going to enjoy that time. You're going to walk away feeling, hey, that was great. I love that restaurant. They're going to walk away saying, we're not going to be able to eat out for another three months. And they don't want to be embarrassed by saying they can't afford it. So this is where you want to really be sensitive to people's economic status and say, what would be the place that we could go that would be the most comfortable, whether it be sound, whether it be the content that goes on in the restaurant, whether it be the types of food. I mean, if you're going out with people that are true foodies, then you you have to be ready to try some things. And so this is why it's really important when you think about what's the point of getting together for dinner if we're not going to have a good time? So what does a good time mean for all the people involved? Not just one person, not just one couple, but whatever the mix is of who you're eating dinner with. What would cause everyone to have a good time? We want to be gracious people. Gracious people are classy people. So don't insist on, on, on dinner plans at a restaurant that people can't afford. Unless, and this is a really classy thing to do if you've got the money, take them all out for dinner and they get to experience something that they never would be able to experience on their own if they don't have the money for it. But don't ask them to come somewhere that they probably can't afford and then require that they pay. All right, if someone is giving you their full attention, then give them yours. I, I talk repeatedly about time. And how interesting it is to me that three seconds can feel so long. So this is really a practice that I want you all to really begin to incorporate into your life. Relaxing, being able to stop, compartmentalize, or even say to the person, give me a minute so that I can stop at a good place and I can give you my full attention. Because the worst thing you could do is to be passive-aggressive and pretend like you're giving them attention when you're not really listening to anything they're saying and you're continuing to do the work you were doing when they walked up. Why don't you just simply say, I don't have time for it right now, but I really want to give you time, so can we come back in an hour? Or simply stop what you're doing, take a breath, look them in the eye, what can I help you with? Or what have you got? Because this is one of the best ways that you can value humans, is time. Think of how much time God gives us and how willing he is to share time with us. So it's safe to judge how much attention you should be paying, you know, and how much anyone else is paying you. So you want to really think about this. What, you know, if you're in a park, for instance, both you and you, both you and your friend, maybe are watching kids while having a conversation. Well, it's understandable. And that doesn't make it rude if you keep glancing at the children right? Or yell something at one of your kids while you're in the middle of a conversation. But if you're at an expensive restaurant and you're specifically with those people, 
and you keep getting distracted by other things or answering your phone or writing down notes or, oh, I forgot to do this or let me go out to my car, whatever it may be, remind yourself, once you go into a restaurant with people, that's where you're at for that time. Nothing should get in the way of that short of an emergency. So try not to be multitasking all the time. Make sure you introduce yourself with your first and last name. It's amazing to me how often someone will introduce themselves and assume that I just know them. And I can do the same thing. I can think, oh, yeah, we, I think we met before, and I'll just say my name is Cynthia. It's very helpful. Even if you are 75 90% sure that they know who you are, it helps them if you give your first and last name. It just makes things more comfortable because then they don't have to worry about whether or not they've got your name right. So it's polite to introduce yourself to someone with both first and last. And it's polite to introduce other people with their first and last name. If you don't know their last name, say, hey, I want to introduce you to so-and-so. What was your last name again? And you make sure that you introduce them with their full name. It's a memorable thing when you do this for someone. It's a valuing behavior. It causes people to feel much more valued. So if your name is common, it also makes it easier for people to track you down if you are given the last name. How about this? Graciously accept kind gestures. Like, should a man always open a door for a woman? Well, it's not necessarily true anymore. But let's think about this. If we're not going to discriminate between gender, why don't we open the door for everybody? Why doesn't everybody get an open door? If you can open the door, open the door for them. Make their moment easier. It helps them have a better day. So don't walk in front of somebody. And what, what about pulling your chair out at dinner? Accept that gesture graciously. So be kind and say thank you and be gracious. Now, this is a big one, and we're, we're going to kind of end on this one. And this is probably one of my biggest pet peeves. Maybe that's because my undergrad degree is in fashion. I don't know. But I just know, as I spoke to you earlier, about people in uniform have a tendency to act better. People that are dressed up have a tendency to behave more. So please dress for the occasion. Please. One of the ways you honor people is dressing for the occasion. It's exceedingly important to know how to dress when, when you and find out where you're going. So dressing appropriately for an occasion is the most polite thing you could do. Make sure you, you know how to decipher what's appropriate for that situation. I don't want you to feel embarrassed or make others feel uncomfortable or be, you know, trying not to be offended because you dress so down for an important uh, an occasion that was so important to them. So make sure you honor people with your appearance. You take a shower. You put yourself together, right? This is Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you so much for joining me today. Make sure you tune in next week. Make sure you check out your favorite podcast server, see if I'm on that one. And if I'm not, make sure you let me know what it is, and we'll see what we can do about getting the shows on that server. Have a blessed week. Check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com and be your own best version. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn 
at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.